Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Welcome back again, Bible Center family. It's so great to have you here. Let me invite you to take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to begin today by telling you a true story about a very extraordinary man who experienced ordinary discouragement. I want to tell you about an extraordinary man who experienced ordinary discouragement. His name was Elijah, and Elijah lived in Israel about 800 years before the time of Christ. And Elijah was known for being used by God to do many signs and wonders. There was an instance where a little boy had died, and God used Elijah to bring him back to life. There was an instance where uh, the nation had turned its back on God, and Elijah prayed that the Lord would send a drought so the country would return to, to the Lord. And that's exactly what eventually happened. Elijah did great miracles. But perhaps Elijah is no more famous than for what he did on Mount Carmel. On Mount Carmel was a time that he challenged all of his enemies to a duel. It was almost as if he had rented out Madison Square Gardens, and he was outnumbered 850 to 1. So on one side, there was Elijah, and then there were 850 prophets of Baal. It would be like witches and witch doctors and and wizards and all that sort of thing. So he challenged them to build an altar to their God, And he would then later build an altar to the one true God. And he made him a deal. He said, essentially, if fire falls from heaven and lights your altar, your sacrifice, if your gods, if they accept your sacrifice, I'll worship your gods. But if the one true God sends fire from heaven, then you must worship my God. And in the end, if you've heard the story or if you've been in church for any length of time, or you can just read in 1 Kings 18, in the end, Elijah won. Actually, the Lord won, and God sent fire from heaven in a miraculous display of his glory. And all the people, as the fire fell from heaven and consumed the altar, even consuming the water that was around the altar, the people chanted, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. In Hebrew, they were literally chanting, Elijah, Elijah, which means the Lord, he is God. However, this is when the story takes an unexpected turn. As we're reading this true story, we hear that the nation of Israel is going to turn their heart back to the Lord. Even the king, King Ahab, is going to turn his heart to the Lord. And you think, man, everything's going to turn out great. This story is about to have a happy ending. But unfortunately, that isn't what happens at all. There's there's a a woman at the house. Her name is Jezebel. This is the queen. This is Ahab's wife. And she hates Elijah with a passion. Now, when we think about Jezebel, I like to think about Medusa or the wicked witch of the West or maybe the wicked queen on Snow White. Maybe Miranda Priestly on The Devil Wears Prada, or Ursula on The Little Mermaid, or Cruella de Vil, or The Ice Queen on The Chronicles of Narnia. Historically, we can view her like like Spain's Queen Isabella, Portugal's deranged Maria I, 
or Bloody Mary I who murdered the Protestants in cold blood. This was an evil woman. Now, she had a track record, Jezebel did, of putting out a hit on all the pastors in Israel. On one instance, her husband, Ahab, wanted a garden, and he was whining and crying around that he couldn't have this garden. And so next door to the palace was a man who owned a garden. So instead, she just had the the gardener killed, murdered, cold blood, so she could give the garden to her husband, King Ahab. She hated Elijah with a vengeance, and so she sends him a letter Essentially, it says, I'm going to kill you. You're going to be dead. You're a dead man within 24 hours. Now, up until this point in the story, we see Elijah being a man of great faith. Nothing can intimidate him. Nothing can back him off of his cause. But when he receives this letter, it shakes him to the core. Now, I've been meditating on it this week. Why would such a letter shake him to the core? There's a couple reasons. One, she obviously had a track record of doing what she promised, killing her enemies, followers of God. Uh, But also, Elijah was tired. You ever been to that place where you're tired, you're exhausted spiritually, mentally, uh, socially? You're just worn out. And then you get like that email or that letter, something so simple, but it just wrecks you. Uh, That's what Elijah seemed to be experiencing And so Elijah does what's natural. Elijah runs for his life. It wasn't normal for Elijah, again, to run. Typically, in the book of 1 Kings, anytime Elijah went anywhere, it's because the Lord had directed him to go to the next place. But there's no indication that the Lord had told him to do what he was about to do. And so he ran. 1 Kings 19 says he ran for about 100 miles. So that would be like you jogging from here to Princeton, those of us who live in Charleston, right? It would have taken him several days, a normal human being, several days. And he, by the time he gets to Princeton, or gets to, excuse me, Beersheba, he is worn out, and he does the only logical thing to do. He asks the Lord to let him die in his sleep. Essentially, he asks God, just take my life. Now, as I was reading it this week, I was kind of thinking to myself, why would he ask God to take his life when really he would started by running for his life? And then it occurred to me, if you've ever been discouraged, if you've ever been depressed, if you've ever battled with anxiety or or any type of mental illness, or you've just been exhausted, every part of your body is exhausted, you know what Elijah felt. There are moments when you pray that God takes your life. And there are other moments where you feel like, okay, we can do this. You have your good days and you have your bad days. Maybe you're there today. Maybe right now you're thinking to yourself, Lord, I have had enough suffering, enough funerals, enough sickness, enough money shortages, enough temptation, enough disappointment, enough backstabbing, enough failure, enough bad choices, enough complaining, enough depression, enough anxiety, enough problems with my kids. Lord, I've had enough. If I could be transparent with you this morning, that's exactly how I feel about this, uh, what we're seeing with the possible COVID resurgence. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but my heart goes out to those of you who are in the medical community. We as a church have our own set of struggles and decisions and choices anytime this sort of thing happens. But I think all of us, maybe for different reasons, can feel enough. 
Like, when is enough going to be enough? At this point, Elijah's tank is empty. He does the only thing he knows to do. He goes to bed, and he asks God to help him not wake up. That's when this story takes a kind of an unexpected, another unexpected twist. Elijah's sleeping, hoping he doesn't wake up, and then he hears a voice. He feels somebody shake him. Elijah, Elijah. He wonders if he's dreaming. I mean, he's out there alone. He's 100 miles from home, sleeping under a tree. Elijah, and he looks, and it's an angel, an angel of God. And not only is it an angel of God, this is one of the reasons I love the Bible. It's so specific. The angel has made him breakfast. According to 1 Kings 19, the angel had made him fresh, flat bread. It smells amazing, right? So just picture this as holy pancakes. The angel gives him one and two and three. And the text says he reaches over for a, for a cup of water and the angel drinks the water. Elijah drinks the water and then he goes back to sleep. Hours later, the angel wakes him up again and tells him to get something to eat. And it seems the way the story is told, this happened multiple times. Kind of like that nurse at the hospital. Those of you who are nurses, thank God for you. But when we're in the hospital, you know, you've got to wake us up every 25 minutes to eat and drink and take our medicine. Right when we get back to sleep, you wake it. Anyway, this is exactly what Elijah was probably feeling. But like a good nurse, the angel was taking care of him physically, spiritually, mentally. Hours later, Elijah is eventually strong enough to make another journey. And so the angel indicates that Elijah is to go down into the wilderness and he's to, he's to go on a 40-day journey. Now, there's nowhere in the text that the angel tells him specifically where to go. But because where he ends up, it would have only taken him about three or four days to get where he ends up. But he's to go on a 40-day journey. And I can just picture it kind of like somebody maybe tells you. Maybe they've got, they own a cabin or a beach house. And they say, hey, go, go take some time to yourself. Go rest. Go, go refresh yourself. And so he, he sends Elijah into the wilderness to walk and, and to contemplate and to pray. And you can picture day one, Elijah walks and eats and sleeps. Day two, he walks, he eats, he sleeps. Day 10, day 20, day 30, finally day 40, Elijah, he's, he's tired. He is ready to sleep. It's right at the edge of, the edge of dark. He's not quite sure where he is in the wilderness, but he sees a cave and he slips in the cave and he goes to sleep. Well, the next morning, according to the text, Elijah hears another voice. Elijah, Elijah. And at first he thinks, well, maybe it's the angel, but then he recognizes this voice. This voice is no angel's voice, but this voice is the very voice of God. And God asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he hears the Lord's voice out from beyond the cave. And so he hollers to the, the end of the cave, Lord, I've been zealous for you. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've killed your prophets. And Lord, I'm the only one left. And the Lord echoes again into the cave. Stand up, Elijah. Stand up. Now, interestingly, God often says the same things to the same people, uh, to different people throughout the scriptures in similar situations. Job was in a similar situation. 
And in Job 38, Job is to the place where he can't even get up. Job is like laying there, wallowing in self-pity. And the Lord says, Job, stand up, be a man. Job 38. And so the Lord is kind of doing that to Elijah. Elijah, stand up and come up out of the cave. But I love what God does. According to 1 Kings 19, just as Elijah is trying to stand up, the Lord sends a mighty wind and knocks him on his rear, knocks him down. The wind is so strong, it shakes the cave. Trees are breaking, rocks are falling, and Elijah can stand up. And so then the wind stops, and the text says something else happens. You can picture Elijah trying to stand up there in the cave again, and all of a sudden, God sends an earthquake. And Elijah falls back to the floor of the cave once again. The cave is shaking. The roof is cracking. And Elijah knows he has to hurry and get out of that cave. And so he finally musters up enough strength. And he comes to the edge of the cave. And he stands on the rock ledge. And Elijah will never forget what he saw that day. He saw, he got a glimpse of God. The text doesn't tell us doesn't describe for us all that Elijah saw. But there are other places in the Bible of people who caught a glimpse of God. Not the face of God, but they caught a glimpse of God. And so this is my sanctified imagination. Use your imagination with me this morning. I can picture Elijah seeing a glowing cloud in the sky, like the appearance of a rainbow radiating on a rainy day. Rich reds, glowing oranges and yellows, life-giving greens, royal blues, deep purples, lightning flashed, fire danced. He heard the sound of trumpets and waterfalls. But then out of that cloud, God speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice. Literally, the, the, the text reads, it, it, God spoke to him in a gentle voice, a tender, compassionate voice. We don't know what God said to Elijah. I kind of like these kinds of places in the Bible where God doesn't spell out all that he said because it allows us to use our imagination and think, what, would, what, what does the Lord say to me? I, I think this morning the Lord has purposely left it blank and so you can hear from the voice of God to you this morning. What is it that you need to hear from the Lord? But then Elijah does the only thing he knows to do. He falls on his face and he worships the Lord. He just worships God. What are you going to do? Anybody who encounters the Lord ultimately has to worship the Lord. But, but I love how this story ends. I had never seen it until this week. In 1 Kings 19, it tells us the location where all of this happened. It happened on Mount Horeb, according to the text. Now, where is Mount Horeb? According to the book of Exodus... Five times in the book of Exodus, Mount Horeb is identified as another name for Mount Sinai. Scholars believe that cave, that rock ledge, that mountain was the same exact place hundreds of years before where Moses had caught a glimpse of the radiance of God. And so here Elijah is and the Lord disappears back through the veil. He can no longer see the Lord and Elijah recognizes where he's standing. He's standing on the mountain of promise. It's the mountain where God had given his people the Ten Commandments. It's the mountain where God had promised his people they would never be alone. And Elijah recognizes 
The same promise that God made to Moses. And the same promise that God made to Israel. God made to me just now. Our story began with Elijah, a strong leader, one that we could only ever hope, one we would ever aspire to ever even see in our lifetime. But yet this strong leader was broken, he was depressed, and he needed refueled. That brings me to today's big idea. This is what I want us to, to wrap our minds around today. Here it is. Even the strongest Christians run out of gas and need to be refueled. Even the strongest Christians run out of gas and need to be refueled. Have you ever run out of gas? Like, not metaphorically, but literally. Who in here today would say they've run out of gas? Anybody run out of gas before? Oh, a lot of us. I have. Yeah, a lot of us. If you're on, watching this online or on TV, feel free to comment. Maybe share the story of when and where you ran out of gas. Uh, but I, I feel like, and I still do, I feel like I have the spiritual gift of knowing how many like miles are left after my dash says zero. Right? Anybody else like that? Like the dash says zero, but it really doesn't mean zero. And so I remember once we had, the, uh, we had this black Ford 500. It's kind of like a Taurus, but for a few years they named it the Ford 500. And Katie was five and Riley was two. And we were uh, driving up Corridor G, uh, not far from downtown Charleston, right there by where Steak Escape is now, and there's a gas station. And, and I thought I had like, you know, a few more miles at least. Zero didn't mean zero. Well, that day zero meant zero, and I ran out of gas. And I just wanted to coast just enough to go around the curve and pull into the gas station. But I just didn't have enough. And so I had to stop. And, of course, I wasn't very happy. And, and some, several men jumped out and helped me push the car. And I got gas. And, and I, we got back in the car. And Riley's in her car seat. And, you know, Katie had just started kindergarten at Bible Center School. And, and Katie's main concern, I really felt this as a father. She was like, Dad, what if my friends see me? That is so embarrassing. Some of us have run out of gas. Some of us have run out of gas spiritually and emotionally. Some of us are like Elijah, uh, where we just aren't sure if we can make it another day. And so I want to put your mind at ease today to let you know you're not alone. You're not weird. There's nothing wrong with you. But even the strongest Christians run out of gas and need to be refueled. That's part of the human experience. I've put a number of references in your notes. You can read them on the app or online. A number of references of other men and women of God who've experienced similar situations. Why is it important for us to know this? It's important for us to know this because it gives us hope that we're not a lost cause. When it comes to great spiritual leaders in the Bible, you never notice how we can relate to their strengths, but we resonate with their weaknesses. We can relate to their strengths, but we resonate with their weaknesses. When I read a story of Abraham, yes, I'm thankful for Abraham's great faith. And yes, I'm thankful for all that Abraham conquered. But you know the parts of Abraham's story that I can resonate with? His brokenness. Because when I read that, I go, man, if Abraham struggles with that, man, maybe I'm not so weird after all. 
It helps us to be more authentic and transparent with our own weaknesses. It helps us take off the mask. Even the strongest Christians run out of gas and need to be refueled. So here's what I want you to do today. I want to finish our time by giving you some encouragement, some practical challenges of things you can do to refuel your tank. And almost all of them are found right here in our text. First of all, let me encourage you, let God refuel you physically. Let God refuel you physically. Our ordinary God, excuse me, our extraordinary God loves to refuel us in very ordinary ways. To live always seeking one high experience after another is to have misdirected zeal. For the majority of the Christian life is spent in quiet, routine, humble, obscure obedience to God's will. How does God refuel us physically? One way he does is through food. Through food. Remember the angel of the Lord who who met with Elijah and brought him that good-looking flatbread we saw a picture of? That was just food. He said to Elijah, eat, go back to sleep. Eat, go back to sleep. I'm a pastor and obviously not a dietitian. I'm op- you would not want me to be your nutritionist at all. But I will say this, food is in the scriptures and it's very important. I read this, read this week, I learned this week, the human brain has more dietary requirements than any other organ in our bodies. The human brain uses 20% of our oxygen, 20% of our carbs, and 50% of our available glucose to do its job. And much of its job is rebuilding, rewiring, and renewing. Skipping breakfast reduces cognitive performance because it deprives deprives the, the, the brain of its nutrients and vitamins needed for normal existence. I was disappointed to learn this this week. Salads. Salads are packed full of antioxidants that eliminate damaging materials from the brain. Blueberries and strawberries boost short-term memory and focus and coordination. Soluble fiber foods such as oatmeal and vegetables slow the absorption of sugar into the bloodstream, smoothing out our mood swings. Anybody need that? Foods such as nuts and salmon increase the number and efficiency of neurotransmitters and higher fish consumption. I found this interesting. Especially tuna has been linked to lower rates of depression and stabilized mood. I read one article. I don't know if it's true. It sounds good. That those among the Eskimo culture don't struggle with depression nearly as much because of the fish that they eat. Whether it's true or not, one thing we know is true. God made food, good food for us to eat. Are you eating enough fruits and vegetables and protein? Are we eating too much sugar? Those are the kinds of things that I'm asking myself this summer. And I encourage you to ask yourself because food is one of the ways God revived Elijah. And it's one of the ways God will reset us. There's food. There's also water. In verses 6 and verse 8, Elijah took a jar of water. He not only ate, but he also drank. Back when I was a kid, I was told it was eight glasses of water per day. 
Now, those of you who are doctors in the room could tell us if that's still the number or not. I hear the number is, heard the number is less. Some say it's less. Some say it's more. So I'm not here to settle that debate. But I am here to say that one thing we can agree on is that God gave us water to drink for our energy, for our mood, for our body temperature, for our sleep, and the list goes on. If you're a three-cup-of-water-a-day person, make sure you get your three cups. If you're a five-cup-of-water-a-day person, make sure you get your five cups. I know, I wish water tastes more like Diet Mountain Dew. I do. I really do. But God created it because he cares about our body. And then there's exercise. Elijah takes 40 days to walk through the wilderness. I don't think it's any mistake. God didn't give him a step counter. God didn't tell him to get so many steps in a day, but he does walk for 40 days. Again, the distance from Beersheba to Sinai would have only taken him about three or four days, but he wanders through the wilderness for 40 days, walking and praying and resting because there's something to it. God is not just interested in the spiritual. It's all spiritual to God. God is interested in the physical. For you, it might be running on a treadmill. It might be running outside. It might be going to the gym. It might be riding your bike. For me, ever since I put on the COVID-30, for me, it's now walking again, just getting moving again. Whatever it is for you, let God refuel you physically this summer. Secondly, let God refuel you mentally this summer mentally this summer. One way God does that is through sleep. The angel told Elijah, go to sleep. Go to sleep. Sometimes the godliest thing we can do is take a nap. On my sabbatical that you were so kind and the elders were so kind to give me in the month of June, I learned something about myself. And that is I need more sleep. I used to set my alarm every morning for 5 a.m. And if you get up for 5 a.m. because you have to because of your job or a baby, God bless you. God bless you. I've worked shift work, and I've never been a mom. So my wife certainly bore the brunt of our babies getting up at all hours of the night far more than I did. But I realize there are seasons and there are times. But if I, I can encourage you, whatever it takes for you to get enough sleep, make sure you try to do that. I realized over my sabbatical that I was wearing 5 a.m. like a badge of honor. Like somehow if I could get up before everybody else, you know, do the dad thing, get the coffee going, read my Bible, read the paper, which all those are good things. But then somehow, even if I was grumpy the rest of the day and tired, I still felt like I had checked that box. Would not God rather us be more loving and patient and kind and gentle even if it's just through getting more sleep. Sleep is one way. Another way is through counseling as needed. In our text, in 1 Kings 19, the Lord asks Elijah several questions. And he asks him like a skilled counselor. He says in verse 9 and verse 13, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God knew where Elijah was, right? If you've ever read the book of Genesis, and if you're a new Christian, I encourage you to go back to the book of Genesis and read the first two chapters, two or three chapters. When Adam and Eve sin against God, they try to hide from God, which is like totally not smart. And, and God speaks into the Garden of Eden and he says, Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? 
Do you think God didn't know where Adam and Eve were? No, God knew where Adam and Eve were, but Adam and Eve didn't know where Adam and Eve were. And God knew where Elijah was, but Elijah didn't know where Elijah was. And that's what a good counselor can do. And so I recognize this is a reaching application, but I think it's an important one to make. Sometimes we need people outside of us to ask us the hard questions that we'll never ask ourselves. And so for you, perhaps you've just been stuck or you've just suffered and you've tried the eating and the sleeping and the drinking the water and the exercise and all that, and you're like, Matt, I'm not really sure what's next, I would just humbly encourage you to consider a counselor. All of us, or many of us, have used counselors in our lifetime, and many of us will use them still. We have a counseling service here at Bible Center I would encourage you to take advantage of, Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling Service. A number of our friends from seminary are a part of this counseling service, much of it's done online. Uh, some of us really enjoy the anonymity of online counseling, being able to do it in the comfort of our home or our office. Uh, again, let God refuel you mentally this summer. If you need a counselor, it's okay. Reach out for a counselor. A third approach to recovering mentally, and I want to make this application quickly, is medicine if recommended by your doctor if recommended by your doctor. I'm a pastor, and we are a church. I am not a doctor, nor are we a doctor's office. Nevertheless, let us remember that the same God who gave human beings the wisdom to make antibiotics gave us the ability to understand the brain with all the chemicals and connections needed for function. If you feel as though that you are experiencing something that you cannot handle on your own, please go see your doctor. Tell him or her what you're experiencing. Listen to him or her with their advice. If we have an infection, they give us antibiotics and we take them. And if God has given us the science to understand what balances the chemicals in our brains and in our glands, why would we not listen to our doctor who prescribes them? For some reason in this part of the country, this type of medicine, psychotropic medicine, seems to be um, taboo. I don't know why. I've thought about it this week. Why is it so taboo? Like, there's good Christians in our church who are doing well, and their doctors prescribe them medicine for some issue that's been in their family for generations, and, and yet they'll come to me and they'll say, Matt, last week I just quit my medicine cold turkey. I'm going to do it this time. I'm like, no, don't do that. Go back to your doctor. I'll call them for you. I'll get you an Uber. Go back. There's nothing spiritual about trying to be superhuman. As the result of the fall, our body's physics, our chemistry, our electricity are all damaged. If you find that yours is damaged to the point that you can no longer function in your responsibilities in life, please go see your doctor. Let God fuel you physically, mentally, and number three, spiritually. Lastly, spiritually. Let's go ahead and put all three of these up on the screen. There were three ways that God refueled Elijah spiritually. Through prayer, through God's word, and through spiritual friends. Elijah was known for his prayer. In the New Testament, James 5.17 says that prayer was his his, uh, it was his signature move. Prayer was what he was famous for. 
When Elijah needed the Lord, he knew to call out in prayer. And this summer, as you're resetting, I want to encourage you to call out to the Lord in prayer. Let's be a church that acknowledges we're psychosomatic beings. We're, we're all together. So yes, let's acknowledge the physical and the mental. But yes, let's also acknowledge the spiritual. Pray. Secondly, God's word, the Bible. Remember when Elijah was at his lowest point? He, he's, he's scared to death. He's full of anxiety, at least full of discouragement. And the Lord speaks to him in a still, small voice. It was the word of God that got Elijah through a very difficult time. And it's going to be the word of God today that gets all of us through a very difficult time. I love the stories I'm hearing all around our church of how you're reading God's word, perhaps more than ever since I've been here in the last five and a half years. I'm hearing stories of how some of you are still reading the Bible chronologically. Some of you are reading the Bible. You're, you're just doing the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over again. That's awesome. Some of you are reading the Psalms over and over again. That's awesome. Some of you are reading the New Testament over and over again. Whatever it is for you, just remember that it's God's Word that refreshes you spiritually but then it's also spiritual friends. Elijah thought he was the only one left. He thought he was the only one left. He even told the Lord, he's like, Lord, I'm the only one left. But something I've never seen before until this week, do you know Elijah actually pushed the people who loved him the most and who were closest to him away and then complained about being lonely? That's often the way it happens. Back in verse 2, even his personal assistant, he's like, just leave, just leave. So often the way it is with despair, the momentum of bad circumstances lead us to dangerously false conclusions. And we conclude that no one cares about us, no one loves us, and when people try to show us love, we build a wall to shut them out. That's how despair works. That's how Satan works. But God told Elijah, Elijah, you're not alone. There are 7,000 who still haven't bowed the knee to Baal. God encouraged Elijah spiritually. And as we close today, I want God to encourage you spiritually as well. Oh, the Mount Sinai and the story of Elijah and Moses, that mountain will encourage you. But let's close with one more mountain. This is Mount Calvary. Not far away from Mount Sinai is another spiritual leader who, who ascended a mountain to experience the fiery wrath of God. As we read the Gospels, there were earthquakes when Jesus died on the cross, just like there were earthquakes with Moses and Elijah. It's not a coincidence that both Moses and Elijah were the ones that met with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but that's for another sermon. But Jesus went to the mountain to absorb the wrath of God so that you could have the peace of God. He went to the mountain to absorb the judgment of God so that you could have the forgiveness of God. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you, I want to beg you to trust him today. In your own words, commit your life to Jesus Christ. Let us help you on the journey. But Christian, if Jesus can save you, he can also transform you. He's still working on me, and I know he's still working on you. Let's let God refuel us physically and mentally and spiritually this summer. Let's get enough food, the right foods, plenty of water. Let's get some exercise. Let's get enough sleep. Let's see a counselor or our doctor as needed. 
Talk to the Lord in prayer. Read or listen to your Bible every day. Let trusted friends speak into your life. You say, Matt, why is this all so important? This is why it's important. Because even the strongest Christians run out of gas and need to be refueled. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 